What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Pure Evil MMA. I'm your host, as always, Evil Eddie, and we are so happy to welcome back. After one of my favorite weekends so far of 2019, we got Rodney James Edgar, who, as a matter of fact, there this weekend. You guys might have seen him. You might have heard him on the post-fight press conference. What's going on, Rodney? How are you doing? Good, man. Good. A little stressed out, just, you know, reading about narrative theory for grad school. Fucking uh, word to the wise out there. Grad school sucks. Should any of you ever try to go that route? It fucking sucks. <laughs> well, you're always you're always working on something, doing uh, yeah. you know, climbing that ladder over there. So I, I can only imagine the schedule that you got going on, and I have no idea how you fit mixed martial arts and journalism into it all. So. Man, I got to give you a lot of credit. So let, let's jump into the heat of things, man. UFC 235. I mean, where do you want to start with everything? Because there's a lot uh, to unpack here. There is, man. Every single like every single fight has its own like story unto itself that you can make a whole episode around. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess from the top down. I mean, the whole the whole weekend was crazy. I mean, I went to the I went to the press conference they had a few weeks ago. And I've pretty much just been obsessed with this card ever since because I went to all the other events, you know, including the event itself leading up to it. I went to, you know, media day, et cetera. You kick us off here. All right, so let's start from the top. John Bones Jones is going in against Anthony Smith. And there's a lot that happened in the fight. But before we jump into that fight, there was a lot of people that actually thought Anthony Smith had a shot here. And I even spoke with Houston Alexander, who trained with Anthony Smith. And, wow. you know, he, he was telling us that, you know, this is a guy that has trained with some of the best. He's been in the game for years and years. And it's usually the guys or the girls like Holly Holm that you don't expect to win. You know, the, the odds were crazy against John Jones. And when the odds are like that, you would expect somebody like John to, you know, just run through. But that was not the case in this fight whatsoever. And Anthony Smith put it best in the post-fight press conference. He was like, it's not like he landed any significant shots. It was more like he just nullified me. I wasn't able to get off. I wasn't able to get started there. So did, did you see that? And what, what did you think yeah. going into the fight before it started? Yeah. Okay, so before it started, I mean, yeah, the odds were crazy. So I put a little bit of money down on Anthony Smith just because yeah, it was money that I was willing to part with. But had I won, it was definitely going to be worth the payday. Um, but, yeah, I kind of felt the same things, you know, that Houston was, was talking about. That, you know, the, you know, and John Jones even said that himself in the, in the media scrum at um, the open workouts. He said, look, a guy that's got nothing to lose, uh, you know, he's going to come in there with reckless abandon. He's going to take chances. And, you know, Anthony just didn't do that. But backing up just a little bit more, um, to before the open workouts, I, I kind of felt the same way. I kind of felt like, you know what, this guy, he, he's ferocious. He's a monster. If he's fighting at his absolute best, he could beat John Jones, but that's not what we saw. I mean, that, that's not the guy that showed up in the cage. Um, but I'll tell you, the week prior, Tiago Santos, Jan Blackovich, uh, or however you pronounce it, that one was an eye-opener because it kind of jogged my memory, and then I, I was like, oh, yeah, these guys fought at middleweight. Tiago Santos and, and Anthony Lionheart Smith, and, and, and he fucked Lionheart Smith up, you know? And, and you could say, well, you know, he was in the wrong weight class. Well, I mean, was Tiago Santos in the wrong weight class too? Because he's now a 205 and they're talking about putting him against John Jones. And I think he actually stands a better chance, if I'm honest. But 
uh, I digress. Here's where I really got off the, the Anthony Smith hype train. I'm not going to lie. Nothing against him or his coaches, but when I was at open workouts, I was there front and center. I'm talking like I was on the stage, you know, like I was filming, I was taking photos, and I was just watching the – I get it. They're not going to come out there and show you all the looks, that you know, that they have in their game plan, but there was just certain things they were doing that I just thought, you're wasting your time. Like, you know, he was doing some grappling where – you know, his coach was like starting off of his back. And I'm like, why, why would you even drill that? John Jones is never going to be on his back unless you unless you knock him out, in which case you're going to have to worry about jujitsu. You know, but I just thought that was a little weird. And then also, um, you know, this is just really technical stuff. I'm not a champion by any means, but I am a martial artist, you know, and I do see certain things that I kind of go, oh, I don't know about that, man. Like the way he was blocking, you know, he's doing a really traditional sort of block like that. I go, Man, you know, your your the side of your head is open, your body is wide open. That's that's ripe for John Jones because I mean he he you know, if you've got your hands up in a traditional block like this while he's throwing a combo, he's gonna sneak up on you. He's gonna hit he's gonna use that go go gadget arm to sneak right around your block and clock you right behind the ear. Or he's gonna come up the middle with some kind of freaky deaky kick or or knee or something, which we saw. We saw some some really outrageous like body kicks that just sent Anthony flying back across the cage. That was the moment for me where I said definitively, I was like, he's going to lose. I know he's, he's definitely going to lose. Um, and then, yeah, once he got in there, I really expected him to pull the trigger, and he just didn't. That's what. I, that's exactly how I felt. You know, that first round, you know, even throughout the fight, I was always at the edge of my seat, but it was really in that first and second round where I was like, all right, anything can really happen here. And then you just kind of felt like, Anthony Smith was allowing John to play his game, and we saw success, a lot of success, as, you know, we usually see with John Jones throwing those kicks and, you know, even spin kicks and stuff like that. And Anthony Smith, man, you know, in his last couple of fights leading up to leading up to this, that got him that shot that got people excited about Anthony Smith finally after all this time, we did not see from Anthony here in this fight. And it was like I, I keep saying this. It's not like John was doing anything crazy. It was like Anthony was allowing John to, you know, p pull off the kicks and, and you know be able to push forward. And John was just like, "All right, bro, is is this what it is? This what the fight's gonna be? All right, well, I'm just gonna ride the wave." And that's exactly what we saw. And there was a part in the fight that everyone's talking about. And you know what I'm about to bring up is this kick. We've we've seen this a lot before. Um, in mixed martial arts. What did you think when you were sitting there watching that? Did you think that Anthony was going to say, all right, DQ? Well, here, let me ask you this. Should it be up to the fighter to, you know, make a call in that position? You mean the, you're talking about the illegal knee? The illegal knee to the head. Yeah, that's what yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, and then they were also saying there's an illegal kick, which John at the post-fight presser said that it was to the body. When I saw it on the broadcast, of course, that's not the best vantage point, but I thought it was to the body. I didn't think it looked like kicked him in the head. The knee, on the other hand, um, yeah, I, I think you should leave it up to the fighter. And the reason is because when you have two human beings in combat, you know, a guy is, you know, he's going to know whether he can continue or not. Like, I mean, if he's completely out of it and the doctor says, hey, this guy, you know, cannot continue, which we see happen all the time, whether it's from an illegal technique or, or a cut. You know, especially cuts, we see that a lot. But whenever you have a guy who is cognizant, he is aware, he can answer you, and he says, look, I'm good to go. 
I like that because, you know, in this sport, it's wacky, but the belt can actually change hands that way. And had he said, well, I, you know, I can't continue, he would have won the belt. And no, nobody wants to become a champion. And nobody wants to win a fight like that. Can't feel good about it. A champion. No, you're, you're not going to feel good about it. And I didn't think for a second that uh, Anthony was going to say, I can't go on. They did take two points from him, but it, it was at that point where it was just like, all right, this fight's clearly over. John is just going to ride this out become the champion or, or, or defend the title. But, you know, a lot of people out there are just saying, like, there is no one out there that we think John is going to have an issue with. So should he move up to heavyweight? Should uh, Santos uh, uh, finally take the fight? So at that point, what do you have to say with that? Because, you know, it really does just seem like there's no one out well, there John, for John. Yeah, well, John said that he wants to fight four times in 2019. I heard, you know, he said that. I actually posted something on Cage Side Press about that little soundbite from him. He said he wants to fight four times this year, so he's already fought once. I, the way I see it, if he fights Tiago Santos, Dominic Reyes, should he win? And then, uh, you know, Johnny Walker's another guy that comes to mind. Of course, Johnny Walker I, I mentioned last because he he actually said that he doesn't, you know, he wants to fight a few more fights before he's ready to fight for a title. And then uh, he, he said that to me at media day. He said it to all of us backstage at the press conference. And Dana White even said that at the press conference. He said, look, we're not, we're not looking to put this guy in there with any, you know, any, you know, anybody from the top five or anything like that anytime soon. So I think they feel like he's still, you know, and, and we've seen in the past where they've done that with guys rush them, uh, you know, like Cody Garber, it's a perfect example. Now you've got a guy who's lost, three in a row by knockout. What the hell do you do with him? You know, his former champion, but they kind of peaked him a little too early, but uh, we come back to that one. That's again, that's a whole nother fight uh, from that card. But yeah, th those are the three threats that I see right now. Um, Dana. Oh man. I wish I would have talked to him at the presser. I just didn't have any really have any questions for him, but I thought about it as right as he was leaving, because the last thing that Dana White said was we have some really interesting amazing things coming this year and I can't wait to announce them. I've been dying to ask him though about doing something cross promotional. I know it's a long shot, but how, how, I mean, how badass would that be to see bell tours champ champ, Ryan Bader come, you know, come back over and do and, and, and challenge and rematch John Jones. Cause I mean, he's a way better fighter than he was. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a pipe dream, but I know a lot of other people feel the same way. A lot of other people have, have mentioned that so it is worth saying and then like i said those other three guys in the ufc are definitely credible threats let me but ask you this All right, john feels ahead. like if he if, if he wins you know uh, four fights this year then he will solidify himself as the greatest of all time so then who knows maybe, maybe he wants to move on from the sport or maybe go up to heavyweight or it's gotten to the point where it's like what what do we do with this guy at this point so let me ask you this uh, about that a legal knee to the head. We actually saw in this press conference, what was it? The state athletic commission that came out or who was it that came yeah, Bob, out and was like, yeah, Bob Holy. what did you think about that? Because I, I kind of found that kind of weird. And, you know, in, in situations like that, you know, it, it's really frustrating. And they, they completely backed. They talked about the Ben Aspirin thing. And I, I believe they did talk about the John Jones thing. What did you think about them bringing him out there to discuss that? A serious situation so soon without actually digesting it or you know thinking about what to say without discussing it later on that night uh i think that 
you know, the fans and the media and, and anybody else from the peanut gallery maybe was, was the, I don't know, maybe, maybe they thought that they were going to try to run away with that narrative and, and, and create sort of a false narrative or something about what they thought happened. And so I, I think that was perhaps the UFC PR. Maybe that's, that was their way of just sort of nipping that in the bud. Like, Hey, let's go ahead and get this from, from a, an expert. Just like you kind of, like you see on the NFL broadcast where they have like, they'll have a, you know, a referee pipe in every time that a, that a flag gets thrown or something gets challenged or a flag doesn't get thrown. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, you know, a lot of people have talked about doing the same thing with a ref, maybe sort of adding them to the uh, UFC broadcast. And so I, I saw that as kind of a similar move. Um, but, yeah, it was a little weird. It was kind of like, I, you know, I didn't have anything for Bennett because I just really didn't. I was like, I understand everything that happened, you know, and, and, and even if, whether or not I agree with all of it, it matters not. I mean, we know that, uh, you know, like Robbie, for example, is not going to appeal, you know, I mean, that's just with, without question. We know that's not going to happen. And then as far as the John Jones thing, I mean, I think, you know, the right call was, was done there. And apparently the two points thing, that, that's, I guess that's another thing too. They wanted to bring Bob Bennett in to explain because uh, I didn't know this, but yeah, that that's a mandatory two points. Now I was at one of their, um, hearings, uh, I believe the first Connor and Khabib one. And one of the issues they addressed apart from it, cause they, you know, they address other issues, um, at those meetings. And one of those was the new rule set. And so I'm just as confused as anybody. I mean, I thought, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I- I'm so confused about what's this downed opponent or what's not. I mean, you know, but, I also see where John is coming from. You know, he felt like the body language of Anthony was that he was com- he was coming up, which he kind of was, but then he stopped. And so John thought he was going to time a perfect knee, which didn't end up happening. He kind of threw it before Anthony got all the way up, and there- therefore his hand was still down. I don't know, man. It, it wouldn't have made any difference. I don't want to jump out of order, but while we're talking about the controversial side of things, people are going to want to know what our, our take is and what your take is on the Ben Askren versus Robbie Lawler fight. Now, going into this fight, it was huge for Ben Askren, and what a what a welcome to the UFC Robbie Lawler gave Ben. I mean, it, it looked like he was out. After he, he got picked up, slammed, and smashed a couple times, it looked like Ben was out for, for a split second. He was able to recover and then was able to take control over Robbie. Now, he got him up against the cage in a really awkward position, a position where, it was, especially from Herb's angle, it was kind of hard to, to, to see Robbie's face. In that moment, what were you thinking, and what did you think about that call, uh, you know, because Robbie immediately protested the fight. He immediately protested that call. And he even had a conversation with Herb. And, and like you said, he, he's such a stand-up guy. He, he's not going to, you know, flip out or, or, or try to protest. So, you know, what, what did you think about that and how it was handled? Yeah, well, it's interesting because uh, today I saw something that I guess Dana White had shared. And then I shared it on Twitter where you actually hear the audio for the first time. Uh, the exchange between Robbie Lawler and Herb Dean. And it, all, it sounds to me like Herb Dean is actually kind of sort of admitting to Robbie, like, like, oh, shit, man. Like, I, I thought you were out. He's like, I can't believe I did that. He said something to the effect, like, oh, man. I, and, and then Herb is like, fuck, you know, like, like he kind of knew he, he made a mistake. But at the same time, maybe he didn't. I, it, it, to me, when, when I saw that arm go, I thought, 
I thought Ben Askren was going to let go and that Robbie Lawler's body was just going to slump to the canvas. That's what I thought. We've seen that so many times where a guy doesn't tap and then he just goes out. I thought that's what we're going to see. But then he, he jumped right at the protest. Now, during a flash knockdown or flash knockout, rather, that's understandable. If a guy, you know, a guy doesn't think he was out and, and you know, he comes back too real quick. But Dana White also made a great point about that. If you got choked out, you're not going to immediately jump up like that. Anyone who's ever been choked out will tell you, even if you don't pass out. I've been choked before many, 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 many times. Happens probably every single time I train, you know, like I might choke, I might get choked out, tap, and then it takes me a few seconds to like to get my bearings back, you know? So I don't know, but truth be told, if I'm Herb Dean, uh, that's what I saw. I saw the guy's arm just go limp, thought that he was completely out, probably would have made the same call. And uh, th- this is the other thing I harped on, too, at the time. And then I asked Ben about it at the press conference. I was like, look, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't see Robbie being able to get out of that anyway. Mm. Did, you, did you see the video uh, that's, that's going around of uh, – Ben Askren taking two watermelons yeah. and then squeezing them until he bursts them both. I mean, like that's insane. And, and you gotta I mean, realize he, the position that Robbie was in. He could have he could have snapped his neck if he wanted to. That was a really awkward position. Yeah, and I mean, he's got a, such a tight squeeze. And if he didn't want to let go, you know, and then of course on Robbie's end, he you know at the presser he he told me, well, you know, hey, uh, I, I you know I was just gonna let him tire his arms out, but I'm like, I don't know, man, <laughs> I just don't. I don't see it because it's, it's not like it's not like you had to exert a bunch of energy to do that. It's not it's not like a guillotine where you're like you're like pulling up and like you're putting all this effort. It's kind of like he's kind of using his body to sort of just rest on your head. And any time any anything that you try to do, any move that you try to make, all you're doing is really just forcing your neck in into the guy's arm. But I, I mean, but he had, I don't know if it was like a, like a blood, more like a blood choke, but again, even still, you know, the more, the more that the guy on the bottom struggles, the, you know, the less likely is to get out of it. And again, the guy who's on top, he's got all his body weight on you. So I don't know. This is the big talk that I think needs to be made, needs to be figured out. And we need to get a yes or a no from the higher ups. It's should there be an instant replay in mixed martial arts? And if so, you can't give them too much time because you don't, you don't want that guy to recover too quick. You don't want to give him too much time. So should there be a, a, an instant replay? And if so, how long should it last? I wish they would, man. God, I wish they would. It drives me nuts. I mean, yeah, I, I wish they could pause the action on that, look at it and go, oh, man, you know what? We, we made the wrong call. The guy was not – he wasn't out. So let's restart in that same position, put the clock back right where it was at the time. And, uh, and of course, it, it's not a perfect solution because, yeah, that does give that does give him time to catch his breath and get his bearings back, think about what he's going to do. Um, but it's to me, it's better than the way that it turned out. You know, and then the other option is run it back. That's what Dana White wants to do. I don't think Ben Askren or Robbie are interested in that, nor do I think – anyone else is quite frankly, I just don't think there's anything to prove. I think both guys, uh, I mean, I thought they were going to, I thought they were going to stop the fight when Ben was, was getting smashed, you know, and, and 
you know, I mean, you probably could have. You probably could have, and, and there, there wouldn't have been a ton of controversy there, you know, had, had you stopped it. But he weathered the storm, and, uh, yeah, he did come back and get into a good position. Uh, he fought really hard to get there. But, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, all I saw was an awesome fight. Yeah, it's a controversial finish, and boy, does it have people really split down the middle. I don't think I've ever seen anything so polarizing because you don't have the majority of people going, oh, he, he wasn't out. That was an early stoppage. It's it's really split down the middle. you got people saying that it was good and others that say it's not. I say that nullifies each other. Like I said, both guys put on an awesome, awesome fight, one of the best fights I've seen all year, maybe ever, you know, just, just <laughs> for that short-lived, like, action that we saw all hell broke loose it was a dog fight it was great it's what you come to expect and what a welcome for Ben Askren because you know in a way yeah it would have been a little tragic had he just come in there and gotten smashed in 10 seconds in his yeah. debut <laughs> but then because now it, it he brings new life into the welterweight division I mean, he stole the show I told you about that press conference a few weeks ago you probably watched it you know I mean the, the one with the hecklers that wouldn't shut up <laughs> Ben stole the show there he was amazing all week you know the open workouts he did the dual workout with Tyron and when they went to interview Tyron you know he joined him for that and it was just like he, he's he really endeared himself to the fans and the media and even Dana White I think he, he you know he claims that Dana hates him but you know, Dana is is adamant that that's not the case, and I, I believe Dana because every time I see them interact, I, I think Dana kind of gets a kick out of them. Yeah, I think Ben's just kind of playing along with that script, going with like what Ariel is asking him to do. He's like, you know, just go along with it. People enjoy that, and you know, I, I saw Dana at the press conference going, "What is this guy talking about? We both yeah. backstage. Like, this guy is out of his mind." And you know, I enjoy that back and forth between Ben and. And uh, and Dana. So you you brought up Woodley. Let's immediately jump over to that because, man, I can't believe that Woodley was shut out every single round, every single second. Didn't have uh, any control time in this fight. Uh, very impressive win for Usman. But was it? I mean, what, what do you think was wrong with Woodley? What did you think was going on with Woodley? It didn't seem like he was able to start going. And and people are saying, oh, he's doing a rap. He's doing this. I don't think that really has that much of an effect. If anything, I probably think that's healthy to, you know, kind of have a little bit of distraction, but I don't know. What is your take on this? And what did you see from Woodley? Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. And I asked them as much because, you know, I'm a musician. You're also a musician. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's about, it's not just about your time. And, and, and I mean, it doesn't really take a physical toll on you necessarily to do music and do all these other things, but it, it does, um, it, it does, I think, shift your focus. I mean, we saw that with Ronda. We've seen it now with Conor McGregor. True. Because, like, you know, if, if you know, if you listen to Joe Rogan or Brendan Shaw break this down, it's like, what do you think Usman was doing when uh, Woodley's doing these TV shows with, like, TMZ or he's in the studio? Usman is in the gym. He's grinding. You know, he's hungry. And uh, I think that's the difference. When you get somebody like Ronda or Conor or Tyron, who's been a champ for a long, long time, like, you know, they can say what they want, but I think, you know, maybe they do sort of lose a little bit of that hunger because it's de it's definitely not the same hunger um, that they had when they were on the climb. You know, Johnny Hendricks is another great example. Johnny Hendricks was – he was ferociously hungry on his way up the ladder. I mean, you just knew this guy was going to be champion. And then 
after that, I mean, his career was just it just tanked. One of the worst downfalls we've ever seen, if not the worst. Um, but with Tyron, going back to the open workouts again, what was it? One of the biggest takeaways that that I got from him and from from Ben, who both commented on it, they said, "How how does how does Marty win? How does Marty from Nebraska win? He what's he going to do? Is he going to out wrestle Tyron? Is he going to take him down? Is he going to out strike him? Is he going to out cardio him?" Well, they were they were sort of laughing about it. like yeah right he 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 doesn't have the ability well guess what that's exactly what he did he he did everything better and I'm actually very surprised that some people didn't like that fight and I don't understand those people like I had a buddy text me and was like man I can't believe I paid for that pay per view it was awful <laughs> and I was just like what in the hell was this guy watching and then you know after the presser and I had a chance to sort of digest everything and, and decompress and i looked at twitter and i saw all these people that were just like man that freaking that, that pay-per-view sucked and i'm like i don't get it i do not understand where they're coming from i thought that the uh, tyron woodley kamaru usman fight was incredible i don't see how anybody could consider that a boring fight um but yeah usman impressed did everything right and supposedly had a fractured foot. Um, and and I just I just knew the fact that he had, you know, that this huge, huge opportunity to make history as the first fighter from the entire continent of Africa to become a UFC champion. I knew that he was gonna he was gonna win that belt or he was gonna die trying. I'm glad that you brought up Johnny Hendricks. I think that's a, a really good comparison when we talk about this fight when it comes to Woodley, because for both of them, guys came into mixed martial arts as wrestlers, and then they really fell in love with their knockout power. They fell in love with their striking. And in this fight, I felt like Tyrone was just waiting for that one shot. He wasn't, uh, he he wasn't using his wrestling. He wasn't. Uh, it, it just felt like he was just trying to get that one lucky shot throughout the fight, and he just couldn't get it going he couldn't get started he wasn't even really throwing any punches and we even seen Usman get him pushed up against the cage and almost pretty much rock him a couple of times during this fight uh th this is uh going on and makes martial arts for for a while and I think Woodley has fell victim to be one of those guys that fell in love too much with his, his striking and that that one punch uh power yeah yeah, you're right. Yeah, exactly. That was one of the biggest. That was one of the biggest things that contributed to uh, the failure of Johnny Hendricks was the, that he got away from the wrestling, you know. And because I mean, you look at like his fight with Carlos Condit, for example, like that was the X factor. Like that was the only reason he won. It was the difference maker, you know, because that was an absolute war. Um, but then, yeah, from there, he just like he became this, you know. A uh, guy who was just sort of more known for for being a striker because he had built up such you know hype with those knockouts and yeah I don't know I don't know man Tyron thinks that he's going to be able to run it back but you know immediate rematches are definitely not warranted when you get beat down for five rounds and then they've already announced that that Colby is going to be the guy so yeah I think you know, there's some things at play there. Ben Askren says that, uh, and you know, he's been saying this, said it publicly. He told me on media day as well. He's said it several times since. He's going to London to troll Masvidal until, and he's going to call out the winner. I love that. Um, it's refreshing. Again, yeah, it is. But at the same time, I, I 
I don't see either one of those guys given given Ben Askren any problems. So, what do I know? Yeah, I'm looking forward to what comes next with Usman. We got Till Wonderboy finally has a shot to maybe become uh, or or get a title shot once again. We got the the cycle rolling again now that Woodley's out of that spot. And like you said, I don't think he's going to get the immediate rematch. There's actually no way he's going to get the immediate rematch, even with how many times he's defended. And, you know, you look at guys like Stipe, you look at guys like Jose Aldo, they didn't get it. I don't see Woodley get it. Now, moving forward really quick, I, I want to talk about Cody Garbrandt and what happened there. Yes, it was a very exciting fight, but now you have a guy coming off three TKO losses. Yes, two of those losses were to TJ Dillashaw back-to-back, and then now you got this one. I really couldn't help myself from saying, or at least thinking, I haven't seen any change here from Cody and didn't really smarten up or learn from his mistakes. And I wonder if it's because Justin Buckholz has left. What, what do you think about that? And what do you think about Cody uh, in, in this situation? Yeah, very, so very rarely do we see a guy lose three times in a row, especially in, in devastating fashion you know, keep his spot. I think he definitely will. You know, um, I, do, I don't think there's any question about that. I don't think he'll get cut because, um, I mean, Dana pretty much said as much at the presser. But, yeah, somebody. this is interesting. I didn't really think about this until I saw it visually. Somebody, you may have seen it too. Somebody put together a, like a highlight reel that shows all three of those knockouts, both of the Dillshaw and the Pedro Munoz knockout in a row and it's literally like the exact same thing every time it's just Cody just swinging wild getting clipped on the chin and just going flying like you know something out of uh, Mike Tyson's punch out on NES you know like like Glass Joe and, and I mean it, it all comes down to the same thing you just get in there over committing which is crazy I mean I just don't I don't know what the reason is I mean as far as the coaching or whatever the case but yeah you would think after it happens twice in a row especially since we sort of saw a change in his demeanor, uh, you know, this this approach. Because I don't know that I've ever seen a fight, especially with the Dillashaw fights. He, you know, those guys hated each other. So there was, there was always that animosity, all that beef and all that hype, trash talk, etc., leading up to the fight. But all his fights before that, he always was was the kind of guy to get really, really just nasty. I always thought he was kind of a bully. You know, he's the kind of guy that would get up in a guy's face and away and push him and talk shit and everything. He didn't do that with Pedro. You know, he kind of – it was almost like I thought maybe he's kind of matured. He's a father now. Maybe he's learned from his mistakes, kind of humbled. And, like, yeah, with, with Pedro, it was like it was like all smiles, you know. Like, the, you know, he didn't, he didn't have to be, sit there and be all Mr. Intense all the time and, like, try to play this sort of facade, which, you know, doesn't really fool anybody anyway. You know, it's a defense mechanism. You know, the Diaz brothers do it. It's a defense mechanism. You're not fooling anybody. You're, you know, guys do that because they're scared. There's nothing wrong with being scared. Um, I, I think it's annoying when, when dudes try to act like a tough guy to try to overcompensate for the fact that they're scared um, because it's nothing to be ashamed of. You should be scared. You're getting into a cage with, with a, an, another murderer who's going to try to take your head off. Of course you you're supposed to be scared, but you're getting in there doing it, and that's why you get that's what commands so much respect. So, with Cody, if you back up a few fights, Dominic Cruz, I thought, okay, this guy has proven me wrong on every level. He's not this immature, overly emotional kid who's not ready for the big game. He is very composed, he is an excellent fighter, he's a complete fighter, and this guy's gonna be a champion for a long time. 
boy, was I wrong about that. Because if he didn't learn his lesson from not one, but two knockouts from Dillashaw, he sure as hell got in there and did the same thing. And uh, I hope he learns this time. And, and you know what? Like you said, I don't think UFC is going to get rid of him. I think he's such a draw. People love when he fights. This is a very exciting fight. And it could have went either way. I mean, very yeah. well, Cody could have landed a punch. They are both kind of out on their feet for a second. We're recovering. And it, it was back and forth. Very exciting fight. But it just sucks when you see a guy coming off two uh, or, or three now losses in a row. But you do have to keep in mind two of those were to TJ Dillashaw. I don't think you lose any brownie points, but it's just hard. Now, really quick, while we end on this note, do you think that, you know, with fighters, when they get knocked out time after time, does it have an effect on their chin? Like, is is it easier to get knocked out? Do you believe in that? And is Cody yeah. having an issue with that? Or what do you think there? Is that false? Yeah, no, I absolutely think that. But it's, it, I don't know, it's weird, though, because, like, some people don't seem to be as susceptible to it. You look at Alistair Overeem, for example. He's a guy who's been getting knocked out for 15 years or more. You know, like you think back to like the Chuck Liddell fight of pride, you know. But And then he's had some like really, really nasty KOs where he's just like face planted. But then he's he's also come in and shown a chin at, at times since then. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's because he's a bigger guy. He's got a big old, big old gigantic head, a big old thick skull as a heavyweight. But, yeah, I mean, I definitely think it does have an effect. And uh, it just varies from, from one person to the next. Chuck Liddell probably is the most interesting case study in, in that. You know, he was a guy that, you know, just once the chance sort of was gone, he he never really was the same. Shogun, who was another guy, you know, sort of old school guy who, you know, you just, he, didn't, he didn't fight the same. He just didn't, you know, he was kind of always just kind of set on – you know, you just kind of were on eggshells, like, oh man, he's gonna. If, as soon as he gets touched, man, he's just gonna, he's just going to sleep. So, Fedor, Fedor, great example too. Yeah. So, I, I, as we get to the last ten minutes of this podcast, there's a couple more fights that we definitely need to discuss. Zabit, man, Zabit versus Jeremy Stevens. Were you impressed? Because there's a lot of people who are saying, you know, I'm really not that impressed with Zabit's performance, and and with guys that that pull that spin stuff. Uh, you know, in, in different organizations, they come over the UFC. It doesn't work. But you have someone like Jeremy Stevens, who's you know, yeah, he is coming off a loss to Jose Aldo, but it was Jose Aldo. Were you impressed with Sabit's performance? Do you see him moving up further? And you know, at, at some point this year, getting a title shot if he keeps winning, or or what do you think? Do they take their time? What, what do you think about Zabit and his I, performance? Yeah, I mean, I. I mean, I told him as much, you know, when I spoke to him at uh, media day, but I, I mean, I think he's uh, ranked at like, you know, I don't think he's ranked technically in the top 10 yet. Um, I haven't looked at the newest rankings. Um, so he might have one or two more fights, but you also have to remember uh, the, the division is going to be held up for a minute because you got, you, you got Max Holloway now fighting for the interim lightweight title, which uh, on a side note, I think they're doing actually to smoke uh, Conor McGregor out of, out of hiding because these are, he's going to, he's going to be, going stir crazy sitting over in Ireland watching two guys that he's beaten uh both you know get uh championship gold around their ways while he's not and uh then which which would put one of them either one of them uh in front of in between him and Khabib so uh but that aside yeah it was a beat you know it's weird because I, I'll tell you this it depends on what context you look at it in it, it, am I impressed yes I'm impressed on many levels 
was it the most like amazing jog dropping performance? You know, the best fight that just made you go, Oh man, this guy's the next big thing. Well, not necessarily, but in the context of number one, you had so many so-called experts that are like, Oh, I can't wait for Jeremy Stevens to derail the hype train because the beat is not that great. And blah, blah, blah. That seems to be all the rhetoric that I saw leading into this weekend. And when you also consider that he fought Jeremy Stevens, I mean, how, do, how good do you expect someone to look? I mean, the, the most impressive win that I can remember seeing over Jeremy Stevens from, from well, I mean, there's Josie Aldo, but, you know, also Frankie Edgar, you know, I mean, that that's impressive. When you get a guy like Frankie where you're like, man, I, I don't know, you know, he might, and then he gets clipped and he stumbled and, he, you know, he still ends up coming back to beat him. That's impressive. What we saw with Zabit and, and Jeremy Stevens was, was a dogfight. It was a war. And, you know, you get a crafty veteran like Stevens and, and you're able to, you know, get the win. Hey, it doesn't have to be the prettiest win. And I certainly didn't expect that. I didn't expect him to go in there and walk over Jeremy Stevens. In fact, I didn't know what the hell was going to happen. I said, hell, Jeremy Stevens might go in there and just knock that guy's head into the, into the third row. There's a lot of excitement right now in the featherweight division. You got Yair. There, there, there's a bunch of guys. And then, you know, when you get towards that top tier of that featherweight division, we're talking about some really interesting fights later on in 2019. And this card really felt like a lot of the new faces. You know, we don't got to discuss it, but even Tisha Torres versus Zhang, I was really impressed with. It felt like there was a lot of new faces on this card that really made a, a really big impression. Now, moving forward, who would you like to see Zabit fight next this year? Mm. Gosh. Okay. Well, so, so, so Jose Aldo's fight was just announced uh, yesterday. I forget the Volkanovski, guy's name. right? Is that who's fighting? There you go. There you go. Yes. Okay. So, and uh, prior to that, we know Brian Ortega was one of the Jose yes, Aldo. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I think that's the one I want, but I don't know. I mean, is is the beat going to be able to jump that high up in the rankings? I mean, who who else do we have at uh, at featherweight that's that's viable? Uh, let's see, you beat Jeremy Stevens. Uh, for, I mean, Frankie Edgar. There, there's another one. Frankie Edgar is. Uh, I, I you know what? I I think that's going to be my choice. Either Frankie Edgar or Brian Ortega. I 100% agree with you there. Imagine that T City versus a beat. I think. You know, I, I could see Zabit versus uh, Ortega going on next. So uh, let us know what you guys think on Twitter, down below here in the comments as well. Moving forward, let's discuss one of the biggest fights that uh, everyone was really looking forward to and ended in an injury that had nothing to do with the fight. You got Johnny Walker, who's really made a huge splash last year, moving into this year, and he's such an interesting character, really uh kind of a nerdy guy but so violent and you can't help but love this guy what did you think about his performance and just really quick fun fact in his last two fights he's only spent 51 seconds inside the octagon which is amazing yeah, yeah and his last fight was just like 28 days prior to to this one and i mean you're not talking about uh a tomato can when you talk about misha serkinov you're talking about a fucking killer you're talking about a tank and he just went in there and, like, you know, just ran through him, which is, you know, the, these fast finishes are great, too. But it also doesn't really show you, uh, you know, how does he last through three rounds or five rounds. And that, that's kind of one of the, 
the things that he brought up to uh, in the media scrum, actually, in the back, you know, because I, I mean, I talked to him on media today. I said, look, man, so, so I'll give you a little before and after. So on media today, I talked to him and said, man, you've looked amazing, very impressive. Uh, this division uh, has traditionally not had a lot of uh, depth lately because we've seen some defectors, uh, you know, or, or we've seen some guys retire, some other guys, you know, drop down in weight or leave the UFC. And so it's kind of it's kind of yours for the taking. And he said to me that he, you know, he doesn't feel like he's ready for maybe another year or two. And he wants to get more fights. He wants to get more experience. He said, you know, I feel ready for John Jones now. He said, but I want to be sure. Which, okay. I, I mean, teach his own. I mean, I can't tell the guy how to manage his career. But after that win over Misha Serkinov and we were in the back, I reminded him of his words from media day. And I said, now. I said, I think a lot of people would beg to differ after your your performance tonight. What are your thoughts? And, you know, he still said the same thing. So, um, but yeah, how can you not love the kid? Well, and, uh, he, he you know, he's got, he's, got to, he's got to stop. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's funny because, you know, again, I, I told you Dana had mentioned at the presser that, you know, they weren't planning to put him in there within, you know, any top level guys anytime soon. But yeah, just. The very next day, uh, yeah, you start hearing about, you know, that they want Alexander Gustafson. So, I mean, I think he's a lot closer to fighting for a title than, than, than he's leading on if, uh, you know, especially if he beats Gustafson in an impressive fashion. Can you imagine that? I mean, you, you know, there's just – you pretty much have to make him and John Jones immediately if he's able to, you know, <laughs> finish Gustafson. And, the, and this really reminds me a lot of Yair's rise – and when he got matched up against Frankie Edgar. And that was the big moment where we were like, all right, now he's on the ground. We haven't seen this guy on the ground yet. And like you said, we've we seen him come out fast. And I've watched some of his older fights before he was in the UFC. And he has made the mistake of coming out fast, trying to finish the fight, and got caught for it. So I, I would really like to see him take a step ahead, but not too far. When, when you think of Alexander Gustafsson, it, it's definitely a big risk. But maybe he can learn a lot, like we saw with Yair after he lost to Frankie Edgar. But uh, we don't—I don't want to see John uh, Johnny Walker disappear for a year, like we saw with Yair after a loss either. So I don't know. Let us know what you guys think down below. Do, do you see him fighting in the next couple of months? Even though you know he he does have an injury from the uh, from the worm of all things. <laughs> oh, uh, one caveat too, by the way. So we were talking about potential opponents for uh, John Jones, and it just made me think of something uh, when I was talking about, you know, people who have retired, and I was mainly referring to Rumble Johnson, and he recently came out and said, well, he would come out of retirement for John Jones, and it's, man, it's so sad because that is the one that got away. In my yeah. opinion, if there's if there's one MMA fight of all time that I would consider the one that got away, it, it is that one because that fight almost happened and mind you, it didn't because Johnny Bones got himself in trouble and then the fight, you know, didn't end up happening. Uh, so, yeah, even though Rumble lost to DC twice, I just think stylistically the matchup with him and John Jones is very, very intriguing. But if you see how big he is, I mean, he looks like he ate Daniel Cormier. I mean, he's a giant. How does how does he get down to 205? I, I don't know. I mean, if, he, if he's going to do it, he better – you know, he better, he better start now. He better, he better stop lifting so damn much and stop eating so much, and start and start doing some cardio because he's he's massive. Yeah, when it, when it comes to that whole situation, I think 
The UFC should definitely jump on that. But yet, this is a guy that we saw at so many different weight classes. We saw uh, Rumble at, what, what was the lowest that he went down to? Didn't he go down to uh, welterweight at one time? And then, yeah. you know, now he's he's humongous, like you said. And he's actually working with BKFC, I believe, right now. But, you know, yeah. you, you bring up a lot of good points there. They even had a face-off, him and John Jones. And they, they were kind of friends. That's the one that got away. I don't see him fighting DC again. But, uh, yeah, really interesting that you bring that up there. So, last but not least, I think there was one more fight I really want to discuss. Oh, you brought up Conor McGregor and the whole situation of what's going on with Max and Dustin. Let me, let, let's talk about this before we end this podcast. Um, they offered Conor and Cowboy co-main event. What do, what do you think about that? Are you not surprised that Conor would, would turn that down? And should he get a co-main event or should he be a main event? What do you think? Uh, I mean, I don't know, man. The, the guy just, he, he seems to be, I don't know, based on the feedback that we get from, from Uncle Dana, based on the, the things that have happened in the past, he, se- he seems like he's a pain in the ass to deal with behind closed doors. And on, on one hand, I, I don't fault him for that you know i mean he's a guy who knows his worth and and and, you know he's willing to demand it um but at the same time it's like you know he doesn't have a title and neither does cowboy i mean he was the guy that called out cowboy cerrone so the fact that that they weren't able to put that fight together is just a travesty because when you talk about the one that got away that's another one i mean uh you know when when rda was supposed to fight conor mcgregor and then broke his toe Yeah, and then it ended up becoming, you know, Nick Diaz. I, I was so against that. I wanted it to be Donald Cerrone. Cerrone claims that it was, like, this close to happening, and then they, they switched it up on him. How could you not want to see that fight? I mean, again, I just – shame on Connor. Shame on Connor for coming out on Twitter, probably drunk on, on, on Proper 12 and <laughs> smoking Mike Tyson's weed. But, you know, he, he, he called him out on Twitter, you know, after – after he beat up my buddy Alex Hernandez, Cerrone oh, yeah. did, and and uh, and and Connor said, "Hey, he said, bring you know something to the effect, yeah, I'd love to see you in there, bring that intensity, you know, with me or something like that." And I'm like, "Yeah, who wouldn't want to see that, right?" Really impressive but, win over Hernandez as well. I mean, you spoke about that in the rising talent of him. I was blown away that Cowboy was able to get that victory. I was I was very impressive. <laughs> Who's better than Motivated Cowboy? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Last but not least, we, I, I can't skip over this. This is the last thing that I wrote down here. Diego Sanchez, man. 15 years doing it inside the UFC. The only guy left from Ultimate Fighter Season 1. Beats Mickey Gall. People could say, oh, it was too soon for Mickey. But wow, this definitely shows you that he's not going anywhere anytime soon unless he is forced out of the UFC, man. He's still got it. He's still fierce and exciting. What did you think about that performance? Yeah, again, just like uh, every other fight, you know, I said that this one has a whole story unto itself. I mean, there's so much to unpack there. But, yeah, let's just start at the, at the very beginning. So I, I talked to both guys on Media Day, you know, I asked them how the fight came together. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. You know, I felt like for Mickey Gall, it's actually kind of a perfect situation because, you know, here's a guy who we know his chin's kind of compromised, or may, at least I thought so, you know, but, you know, uh, he, you know, he wasn't fighting an elite striker either, though. So, I mean, uh, you know, it was also kind of a, 
low risk for for Diego. But it was kind of a low reward fight as well because you know it's like you got forty fights, you're fighting a guy with six fights. Just the fact that uh, that Gall has some a little bit of hype and everything like that, it made for an interesting matchup. You know, because people for whatever reason uh, they just like Mickey Gall, even though he, his resume doesn't have a lot of impressive wins. Uh, people just like to see him. He's got good personality. He's training with Joe Schilling and and Matt Brown and these guys out at the, the elevation team in California. So, you know, he's been working on striking and you already know he's a stud of a grappler. Diego Sanchez is a grappling first kind of a guy who also can scrap. Um, so yeah, this was a crazy fight. Now there were some other things that, that happened. God, I wish I would have known about it <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't know about it until like yesterday, but apparently like, Apparently, Mickey Gall bit Diego. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. I never saw any video of that. I mean, there's a little something on a mark on his chest, but I, I don't know. I don't know what that's right. How, how do you bite a guy with your mouthpiece in? That, that, I was that, thinking that, too. How do you bite a guy with your mouthpiece in? I don't know, man. Maybe Diego's got some kind of funky ringworm or some shit on his chest. I don't know. Uh, but I would think... That would be the type of thing that would make Uncle Dana just cut the guy immediately, especially the fact that, you know, he's not exactly a huge asset to the UFC. I mean, he's just kind of he's just kind of a guy who's been out of place. And I, and I and that's not to knock the guy. You know, he just needs more development. I've told him so much at the media day. I said, look, you and I both know you're still the guy with the golden ticket. You know, there's a ton of welterweights in this country, in the, in the world that would love to be in your position. I mean, there's guys in LFA that are, you know, 11 and 1, 10 and 0. You know, I mean, there's got all over the place. And here you are, guys, 5 and 1. And two of those five, you got Mike Jackson, who, who doesn't really fight. You know, I mean, he, he dabbles. And then you got CM Punk, who completely sucks. So, eh, I don't know. Another guy who was in the ring. He beat Sage Northcutt, but Sage Northcutt, you know, can't grapple his way out of a paper bag. So, I mean, I, I kind of figured that, <laughs> you know, he would be able to submit Sage. But uh, anyway, what did you say? Uh, on that note, you know, Mickey was really at the right place at the right time. You know how the regional scene works. Like, you, you could fight, you know, four times, five times in a year. Mickey Gall got matched up perfectly the night that Dana White was going to be there. Had a great performance. They're looking for a CM Punk's opponent. But I, I, I will say this, though. Mickey Gall's striking definitely improved. We saw in the first round, he definitely gassed it. You're... To, to strike on somebody like Diego Sanchez, you can strike as much as you want. The guy's going to eat all those strikes unless you're an elite kind of a striker like, uh, you know, some of the other guys in the division that we've seen Diego struggle with, like uh, like uh, even like uh, Matt Brown or, or, or somebody, you know. So Mickey Gall, I mean, I don't, I don't see him getting kicked out of the UFC or anything like that, but this was definitely uh, out of his league as, as we saw here. And, and for us to see that bite mark leaves us a uh, questioning like what really happened there so we'll see what's well, next i'm sorry one more caveat too about that so he uh there, there was you know his post on instagram that came out where he was like you know i apologize for my performance i had a really bad weight cut that to me seems pretty weird because you know i told you i was, I was face to face with him at media day i saw him he's not that big a guy he, he he's definitely not bigger than me and I've made 170 many, many times with no problem. So if if that's true what he says, then he, he's just not doing something right. And furthermore, I, you know, again, media day was what Wednesday, and the weigh-in is is Friday morning. 
he didn't look bad at the weigh-in at all. He did not look bad at the weigh-in, and he certainly didn't look bad at media day. He looked great. So I, ha- I have a hard time with that one. So this is the last thing we got to talk about. I like to rate these pay-per-views. Out of 10, what would you give this as a rating? And keeping in mind, you know, we had, I think, over a million views on ESPN. I really like what they're doing there, showing the prelims on there. Uh, there there's a lot more people discussing UFC now. So uh, w- with that in mind, what do you rate this card? Who? Well, so if I have to rate the overall card, including the pay-per-view, I, I'm going to have to go with eight and a half because I think nine is too high because we've seen better. But if, if we're if we're excluding the pay-per-view, which it wasn't bad, but I'm saying if we exclude the pay-per-view and it's only the, the prelims from the Fight Pass prelims to the, the ESPN uh, prelims, it, it's a nine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a nine. The uh, the other half a point comes from the pay-per-view. Could have been a little bit more exciting, and it certainly wasn't as exciting as the undercard. Uh, but overall, excellent. Yeah, the only thing that could have made it better was, you know, seeing Usman get a finish. And he had a dominant performance. John Bones getting a finish because, you know, the UFC doesn't have stars right now. So it's nice to see John back in action. Let us know what you guys think down below here in the comments. Rodney, you know what we like to do at this point in the interview. I hand the imaginary microphone over to you. If you have sponsors, shout-outs, social media tags, anything at all, the floor is now all yours. Shout out to my boy Tom Galicchio, KO Candy Services. Also, shout out to the U.S. Army, which uh, keeps my bills paid. The U.S. military altogether, the U.S. Uh, Air Force as well. And, uh, yeah, man, find me at Rodney James 138 on social media. Not safe for work. I am vulgar. I give no fucks. I'm a savage. Um, and I, I make no apologies for that. I'm Rodney James Edgar on Instagram. And, of course, MMAsoldier.net is my site. I'm with Cage Side Press now, though, too. So uh, check out all my videos on Cage Side Press on the YouTube channel. we got a lot of great content this weekend, man. It was a ton of fun covering this fight. And, and whoever's doing your guys' Instagram page is doing a phenomenal job as well. I saw a lot of coverage on the Cage Side Press Instagram page. Shit, you know what? I need. To, I just realized I don't even follow them. I need to. <laughs> I just. I just got with Cage Side Press. So uh, I yeah. saw that, and I saw that you changed your Twitter name back to uh, your your actual name and not Rogue. So I was a little confused for a second. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I went Rogue for a while, man. Yeah, I, went, yeah. I had to go Rogue because you know I, I was just. Uh, I don't know. I was just going through a lot of things. You know, my MMA media career was experiencing some ups and downs. You know, I had to kind of. Just kind of had to get back on my feet. You know, I kept grinding, you know, thanks to people like you uh, encouraging me and inspiring me, um, you know, not only with your work, but also with your, you know, your kind words and, and, and having me as a guest, you know, and, and a few other people, James Lynch. Uh, there's a lot of guys out there. They know who they are, you know, kind of helping coach me through that adversity. Uh, I'm back, man. I'm back on top. Oh, yeah. We're so excited to see it. Thank you so much for joining us once again here on Pure Evil MMA. Rodney, enjoy the rest of your day. And I want to thank you so much for your time once again. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, brother. Thank you. And thank you for your service. All right, brother. Later. Later. There you guys go. Rodney James Edgar joining us once again here on Pure Evil MMA. That does it for me. Episode number 206 here. Guys, enjoy the rest of your day. If you have any questions, let us know. First off. Let us know what you thought about this. Let us know what you thought about UFC 235. Can you believe 235? When was the first card you seen?
let us know down in the comments. And what was your favorite fight? Make sure to follow me on Twitter at evil echo. That's E V I L underscore E C C O. Also on. Wait, did I just say Twitter? Yeah, Twitter at evil echo. That's E V I L underscore E C C O. Also on Instagram at pure evil MMA underscore. Facebook, you just fool around on Facebook at pure evil MMA S, lowercase s, and pure evil MMA.com for all the latest interviews. Hope you guys enjoyed episode number 206. I'm Evil Eddie, and remember, when knuckles to the end. Remember, without evil, there's no purity. Behave yourselves.